Hello and welcome to the Prospect Sermons podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, Senior Pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the sermon you are about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you toward the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. Scott, and um, thank you so much, uh, Prospect Baptist. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn them on, turn them to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 24 through 26. And while you're turning there, I want to uh, say something I should have said a little bit earlier. I want to say a word of appreciation uh, to Johnny and to our students and uh, to several other volunteers that uh, went and served in Waverly, uh, Tennessee, to help with some uh, relief there with our alongside of our disaster relief of Tennessee. And so grateful for your work. And I just wanted the church to be aware of that. And thank you so much to those of you that participated, uh, students and adults. And so just wanted to make everyone aware of that. Uh, this morning, uh, though it is a holiday weekend, um, I would dare say that we're taking a morning off. Um, there is a lot within this text, and I think you're in for a treat. I know that my own heart was very much rejoiceful in studying this passage of text. And so um, if you remember a few weeks ago, I began what would become kind of a mini-series in the book of Galatians. Paul has been making an argument really since verse 16 of chapter 5. That message that I started then, it was sometime early. I believe it may have been the first Sunday of August. Um, Now here we are on the first Sunday of September, uh, entitled The Christian Battle. And there's very similar content that is here. Uh, In effect, there is an ongoing conversation that Paul has been having about the battle and opposition uh, from the life in the flesh and life in the spirit. And so contextually, he's still dealing with that. And so we're dealing with that this morning. And so he really carries this through, um, through verse 26. You could even argue even on into chapter six as well. Um, And so with this morning, I don't wanna so much discuss the battle as much as I want to discuss the means of victory Uh, for the believer. Uh, The path of Christian victory is the title of our sermon this morning. Um, There's a common saying, a common thread that we may say sometimes that I don't believe is necessarily helpful that it's been adopted in Christian living. The saying is this, perhaps you've heard it, uh, let go and let God. Uh, I understand the sentiment behind it, but I think the phrase misses the call on the believer towards active obedience and to the life that we're demanded to pursue uh, by Christ and by faith that the believer is to live a life that is postured in obedience to Christ. But nonetheless, there's certainly a tension that we see within the New Testament. Uh, Passages like 1st or Philippians 1, I'm sure this, that he who began a good work in you uh, will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. We see other passages in Philippians 2 where Paul says, Uh, My beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now also in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling uh, because or for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And I think what I could say very briefly this morning is that in the end, um, as we as believers will be carried, kept, and sustained 
by God in the Christian life, but that in no ways negates your active obedience and pursuit of pursuing Christ. There is a great Puritan preacher by the name of John Owen. John Owen said this, and I referenced this in, in the previous sermon back in early August when I mentioned Galatians 5 verse 16. He talked about the mortification of sin. And this is John Owen quoting. He says, do you mortify it? Do you make it your daily work? Be always while it, you, while at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. There's an active posture and obedience. Do we have a part to play, so to speak? Won't the Christian life just happen? Why not just let go and let God? You see a passage in 1 Timothy chapter four where Paul reminds Timothy, have nothing to do with silly irreverent myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. Why not just let go and let God? Because we have a responsibility as believers in Christ to follow Jesus and to pursue Christ by faith. And I think Paul's answer to us this morning would be to say, if you took a posture of complacency, a posture of just letting go and letting God, then you will not walk by the Spirit. But instead, you will walk by the flesh, walking, living, keeping in step with the Spirit, beloved, will not happen just by accident but requires intentionality. It requires effort. It requires forsaking, pursuing. And those who are in Christ, those who are no longer dead in sin, we have been made alive by faith. And it is by faith that we are to then live. We are to then walk by faith. We are to pursue the life in the spirit by faith. John Owen, the same that said, be killing sinner will be killing you. He also says that there is no way of deliverance from the state of the condition of being in the flesh. The only way that we can be delivered is only through the spirit of Christ. So this morning we come to a great text, a very filled text of, with great truths and really a tension that I hope that we will leave here this morning being very much challenged and very much um, making a lot of application of how we live this Christian life, not according to the flesh, but by the spirit. And so out of honor and reverence of the reading of God's word, would you stand as we read Galatians chapter five, verses 22 through 24. The apostle Paul says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another to anger, uh, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, would you say amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray that Jesus would go before us and that we would see Christ above all things this morning. Father, there will be a great temptation within us for our flesh to get into the way. For us to think that this is our active obedience means that our active working 
And in balancing this tension, I pray that you would allow us to see that it is still very much by faith. But it is a life that is counter to the flesh. And it's a life that happens only through your spirit. And the means of Christian victory ultimately comes through the spirit and person of Christ. Father, help us now. As we look into your word, as we exalt your word this morning, help us to hear your word, to believe it in faith, and to apply it in our lives by faith and allow us to be changed by your word this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. What I'm arguing this morning, I wanna be very clear, is that the life and the path of Christian victory only happens through the Spirit. And the path of victory by the Spirit through the means of conquering the flesh, get this, is not by the power of the flesh, but is instead counter to the flesh. I'm gonna point you to two realities of the way of Christian victory comes not by the power of the flesh, but counter to the flesh, and it comes through the means of death, and it comes through the means of discipleship. I want you to see in verse 24, the way of death. Paul says, and those who belong to Christ, Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desire. Paul is continuing to talk about this war, this life engaged in battle, the war against the flesh, living in the fruit of the spirit by the spirit of Christ. Paul says, those who are of Christ, who belong to Christ, who are his people, they live this way. The phrase, who belong to Christ Jesus is condensed in two words in the original language. Tau Christau, it's in the possessive tense, it's in the genitive tense. The genitive tense in the Greek is a tense of possession. It's a tense that so is to say, this belongs to me. And Paul says, for those who belong to Christ, who are possessed by Christ, live in this way, to put it very simply, We are an owned people, beloved. We belong to the resurrected and risen Lord. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter six that you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, this is how you are to live, he continues in verse 20. Glorify God in your body. In Romans chapter 14 Paul argues again, for no one of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. Christian man, Christian woman, you are an owned person. You have no rights you, your life is to be wrapped up in and identified with the death and life of Christ. All of this, Paul says that you are not only owned, but note the text, you're also crucified. You share in a common union and death with our Lord. This is the invitation of Luke chapter nine. When Jesus says to his disciples in verse 23, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would lose to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is inviting us to join him in the way of the cross. 
And Paul is pointing us there to stop and think of what it means for us to follow Jesus, death by way of crucifying the flesh and its passions and desires. To allow me to bring just a few notes about and considerations about death by way of crucifixion. It was a shameful way to die. It was reserved for the most hardened criminals, traitors, scums of society, murderers of the most vile kind. It was a humiliating way to die, shameful way. Someone would be strung up naked, belittled. They would be publicly shamed. This is the means of death of Christ. And Paul intends it to be your means of death as well. It was shameful, it was severe, the most absolutely excruciating death. It was a death of agony, incredible pain, and severe way to die. It was a slow means of death. Victims would linger on the cross, sometimes for days until they had no more breath in them. It was lastly a sure way to die. It was shameful, it was severe, it was painful, it was slow, but it was inevitably ultimate. It meant a sure death, so much so that a Roman centurion would ensure the death of those who would be hanging on the cross. And in the same way, beloved, this is the road that we're invited in to follow Jesus daily. That life by the spirit, the death of your flesh by the spirit, putting and forsaking the things of your flesh will be shameful. It'll be humiliating sometimes to your flesh. Nothing within you is gonna want to do it. It'll be severe. It's gonna be hurtful and painful. It's gonna be slow. It's when is this going to end? But by spirit, it's also sure. His spirit will work and conquer. This is the end of your sinful and carnal life. And it is the very means, not only of your death, but also of your union with our great savior. Paul has an interesting phrase here. He's used it in other places. You might be familiar with Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me lives in me. Now he's inviting those who are of Christ. Paul says in living the crucified life, it is a very similar language that he uses in verse Galatians 2.20 and Galatians 5.24. The only difference is the tense in which Paul uses in Galatians 5.24. He says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's a passive perfect tense it took place in the past it was also done for me I have been crucified with Christ I've been fixed to the stakes literally the Lord has done an abundant work an incredible work in me namely killing hostility his saving work and transforming me all of that took place in the past false Paul says and it has ongoing implications in other words I'm a dead man but I'm a transformed man because of the work of Christ. And yet here in Galatians 5:24, Paul says to those who belong to Christ have crucified. It's an active tense. It means it requires your participation. It's active in its tense. Here, imagine all the agony 
Imagine all the sureness, the slowness, the difficulty of being fixed to the stakes, being nailed to the cross, the horror of the cross, and the invitation, beloved, to follow Jesus by his spirit, to be put to death. There's only one extra component, namely, you are your own executioner. Paul means that we would be active in crucifying the works of our flesh. Paul said before of the work that had been done for us in Christ, now Paul speaks of the responsibility of the believers to have a continual response and posture of fellowship of Jesus and crucifying the flesh. It is, as Jesus said, a daily endeavor. That is every day, every moment, every conscious effort, conscious submission of laying down your rights, laying down your life, dying to self, killing sin, being put to death, forsaking sin, the passions and desires and lust of your flesh. To see the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and forsake it all and to actively, intentionally pursue cross-bearing. This is your life. This is your responsibility to engage in. You put your sin to death, Christian. Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, you know it very well, I appeal to you therefore by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your pleasing act of worship. And then he continues, don't be conformed but be transformed. That is the work of God. That's the work of Christ, not your effort, beloved. It's the work of God transforming you. But he would say actively, present your bodies as living sacrifices, but be transformed through Christ and his spirit. Living under the authority and rule of Jesus, of those who belong to him, live a life of surrender and transformation through his spirit and are required continually laying down and forsaking your will, your desires, your wishes, your passions to follow Christ by faith and to actively live in obedience to his commandments. It requires your fight. It requires your intentionality. It requires that when everything within you wants to pursue your flesh, that you are resolved to follow Christ by his spirit instead. And it's not through your willpower, though you are active. It's only through a transforming work of God. And it happens because your life and the life of Christ have now become one. Paul says it very clearly, you are owned. You belong to Jesus. Notice when the crucifixion happens. It's the past tense, it took place. Have been crucified. Not only when you were coming to faith, but also as a means of bringing you into union with the death of Christ as well. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter six. I want you to see this cross-reference here. By nature of coming to faith in Christ, your death to your flesh is now uniting you to Christ in his death as well. That you coming to faith in Christ 
means the end and the crucifixion of your flesh now, but also that your death was a part of Christ's death as well. This is Romans 6, verses one through seven. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound by no means? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ? Jesus, we're baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of God, the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like him, his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Beloved, when Christ was put to death, it meant the end of you as well. The means of Christ's death intended was intended to be the means of your death as well. It's the way of the old rugged cross, beloved. When Christ died, you died. When he absorbed the weight of sin, it was your sin. It was a sin of his people that he bore in his body. When Christ was laid in a tomb, you were buried there with him. And beloved, because of our union with Christ, when the tomb flung open and Jesus defeated death in a glorious resurrection, praise God for those who are in Christ, you too were raised with him. We're united with Christ through his death, through his, through his burial, and through his resurrection. So Paul would write in the church, to the church at Colossae, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Brothers and sisters, this Christian life is difficult and there's many challenges, there's many difficulties and we may be tempted to think there's something within us that may bring about victory. The real victory comes through in the most mysterious ways. It happens through the same way in which Christ was victorious by the way of death and death on a cross. Not through your works, but through your surrender not through the work of your flesh, but through the work of his spirit and through the work of being crucified. Being crucified, the flesh daily dying to self, putting to death the lust and the passions therein, all the things that war against you, hating sin, forsaking sin, and being united to our Lord. And when the sense within you comes about, a moving of a carnal nature, rearing its head and its passion, see to it that the nails are driven in deeper, beloved. And when the flesh wants to get up and walk away from the altar, see to it that it's fastened secure to the cross of Christ. Because it's only in, at the end of you, the death of you, that you will find the beginning of life in Christ by his spirit. 
Beloved, the means of Christian victory is not through the works of the flesh, but by dying to self. Secondly, it is the way of discipleship. You see this in verse 24. I'm gonna hit verses 25 and 26. I'm gonna hit verse 26, 25 briefly, spend some time in 26 and then come back and hit verse 25. And I think all that'll make sense as we move along. But if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another to anger, envying one another. Paul not only continues in the active tense here, we have crucified is active. We live is active. We keep in step with is active. Paul says in verse 16, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What Paul did in verse 16 is he gave us a command. He gave us the imperative, in other words, live this way. Now he gives us the motivation or the indicative why we should live this way. And his motivation is that we've been crucified to the flesh, that we live by the spirit, that we keep in step with the spirit. We live, we walk, we keep in step with. All of this requires our fellowship. It requires our pursuit, our active participation in Christ. Are you walking by the spirit this morning? Are you living by the spirit this morning? Are you keeping in step with the spirit this morning? Very simply, are you following Jesus? Are you just skimming the surface, but what really is beneath that is a whole lot of you and not a whole lot of Christ. Flesh or spirit? It's a life of transformation. Do you see that here? It's a life of being transformed from being fleshly minded and consumed with self and being consumed with Christ by contrast. Noted here, all about the passions and desires of the flesh, even more, all about the works of the flesh, what I can do. Yet now, Paul says, through the spirit, you've been transformed to live a different way. And those who have been transformed don't live for themselves, but they live for Christ. Paul is warning and giving an exhortation here in verse 26. And there's one word worth noting, I believe. It's the word conceited. Paul says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The word conceited there is an adjective. It's adjectival. The verb that's used is ginomai, or let us not become, or let this not take place. And it's passive, it's middle passive, it's the work of Christ, it's the transformation that Christ brings. But the word for conceited, let us not be conceited, kinodoxo is the word there. It literally means to have self-worth. It means to be boastful, it means to be proud, it means to be boastful in your accomplishments. Paul is warning not to become like this, not to be consumed with what you do the works of your flesh, but instead you've been transformed. Don't let this be the condition of your life. Don't let this be habit. Don't let this take root in you. Don't let us become boastful. Don't let us become prideful or flesh-filled or conceited. Don't let me become puffed up with pride. Paul gives the warning to the believers not to live a life like this and the way that you do that is by living and keeping in step with the spirit instead of living 
by the flesh. So Paul would write in the book of Philippians, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is also yours in Christ Jesus. Do nothing, he continues, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Looking not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have the mind that is in you, that is in Christ Jesus. And in this text, in Galatians chapter five, Paul has two ways which we become conceited. He says two ways. There are primary ways that we become conceited. One is provoking and the other is envy. These are both participles. They are the way in which conceit in this text is manifested. It's the way that conceit is manifested through provoking and through envying. A selfish, flesh-filled life brings about provocation to others within the community. To provoke literally means to challenge. It means to irritate. It's an athletic term that means to challenge to a competition. I think I'm better than you. It's what the word means to provoke. I have more. I've done this. I've done that. What about you? So James would warn us, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And Paul warns the churches of Galatia in chapter 5.15, don't Bite and devour one another. Watch out, lest you be consumed by one another. Don't provoke one another. Don't envy one another. To be spite-filled towards one another. The very thing that he warned of in verse 21 of the works of the flesh is envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Do you see the transformation from living in the flesh, being all about yourself, all about your works, your accomplishments, being dead to sin, a slave to sin, those who have been born again, quickened by his spirit, abandon the flesh, abandon the boastfulness of their own heart, and they have been transformed. And they are not consumed with self, but they're consumed with Christ. And they're consumed by Christ because they belong to Christ. We've been renewed, we've been transformed. We live differently. We pursue the spirit by faith and we live by the spirit of Christ by faith and we forsake our flesh lest we become consumed and living in the flesh. Paul would say in a few different places, Philippians being one of them, if anyone has reasons for boasting in the flesh, I have more. But I count it all loss for the sake of knowing Christ. He'll come down in just a few verses in Galatians chapter six. He says, for even those who are circumcised do not, let, do not themselves keep the law. They desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Christ our Lord by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
The life that we live, beloved, is a transformed life. It's not a boastful life in the flesh, but instead it is marked by following Jesus, joining him on the road to Calvary to die to self and to live for Christ, abandoning your flesh and pursuing Christ by faith in the power of his spirit. And the tension that you see, the battle that you see, beginning in verses 15 and 16, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul now comes in verse 25 and you look at the text. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. You see the words they're using there? Walking, living, keeping in step with. It's a life that is consumed with following Jesus. The word there to keep in step with is the word stakeo. It means to conform. It means to hold up. It means to follow. It's a military term meaning to file in ranks. It shares the same root word from the text that we looked at previously where Paul speaks that before Christ, we were enslaved to following the elementary principalities of the law and of this world who attempted to file in rank to live according to the law, to live according to the flesh. But Paul now says, we don't file in rank following the law. Instead, we are locked, stepped, locked armed, standing to attention with marching orders, a military term to follow Christ. Left, right, left, right. And we follow Jesus. We keep in step with his spirit. Many of you, I'm sure, have gone to the beach and you get behind someone and there are distinct patterns and steps, traceable tracks along their path. And as a child, maybe you were like me, you remember trying to walk on that beach, but almost impossible for you to do so without trying to place your steps in the tracks that were in front of you. That's the picture that we have here. But careful lest you get too far behind and you lose sight of the path of head. In the same way, Paul says, we are to keep in step with the Spirit. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter eight. Sometimes we don't need, say all times, we don't need my word. We need the word of God to interpret what is said here. But this is the life of those who follow Christ. It is the crucified life along with its passions and desires. And we walk by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit and fellowship of Jesus. It's a great chapter in Romans 8. I pray that you see the connections here in this text, looking at verse 3. You read through verse 12, so it's a little bit of a section here. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But to those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. 
if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If he, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, or to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, if by the spirit, If by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The only means of your victory, Christian, the only means of the victory over your flesh is through death. It's through denying self. It's through denying your flesh. It's through crucifying the flesh. And when the flesh rears its head, putting it to death, being fixed to the stakes, joining Christ on the road to the cross and through discipleship, through your growth in Christ, through conforming to the image of God and to the Son of God, through the Spirit of God at work in you. This is your calling. This is your work, Christian, to follow, to walk, to keep in step with the Spirit. So I close this morning by pointing you to what I would say tangible means of discipleship. Ways in which the Holy Spirit can and does work. Sometimes, beloved, the Holy Spirit will work through extraordinary means. Yet, most often, and you ask anyone who's devoted to following Christ, most often, the Spirit, he works through simple and what we would call ordinary means to mature us into the image of Christ. Most of us want an instantaneous, we want, a, we want this instant hyper-spiritualism and automatic that you just wake up and you've arrived. Yet most who are sincere in following Christ and walking down this road know it to be very slow, very long, and sometimes very painful. Very excruciating sometimes. Sometimes it's just the opposite. It's then easy, it's hard, it's difficult, it's even painful, it's dying to self, it's killing sin, it's pursuing Christ. And walking with Christ despite the season, despite the pain, despite the hardship, It's just as Jesus said, is it not? It's day by day, dying to self, daily crucifying the flesh, actively pursuing Christ instead. Can I ask you this morning, is this your life? Are you mostly victorious or are you mostly defeated in your walk with Christ? Are you walking in dependence of Christ each day? Are you satisfied with your walk? Are you paced and are you poised to continually following Jesus all of your life? Or have you become complacent and slowly but surely not too concerned with the footprints ahead of you and keeping in step with the spirit of Christ? After all, you'll have plenty of time to do that at a later date, right? After all, you got plenty of time to get more serious or I think I'm good And I want to point you to tangible things that I believe the word that that God uses to conform us 
to Christ and his spirit is at work. I'm going to give you six of them very quickly of how the spirit of Christ moves in the hearts of his people to conform us to the image of Christ, to crucify the flesh. Number one, he uses his word to sharpen, to rebuke, to correct us, to train us in godliness. His spirit, don't miss this, his spirit is active and it's working while we read and study his word. He is guiding us into all truth that is revealed in the word of God. Are you reading, beloved? Are you reading and abiding in his word, abiding in Christ, pursuing Christ in this way? He is found there and he speaks to us through his word. And those who do know that this is an instrument of crucifying the flesh for the life of the believer. That we're sharpened by the word, that we're pierced by the word. He uses his word. He uses his, and is at work in, his preacher, his preaching to exhort, to herald, to challenge, to proclaim the word of God, to call believers and non-believers to consider their ways and to repent. This is why here at Prospect, we practice expository preaching. Book by book, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, because God uses his preached word to crucify our fleshly tendencies. Are you listening, Prospect? Do you hear his word? Do you believe it in faith? Do you receive it as authoritative? It is the authority by which we live our lives and build our church upon. We have no greater authority than the word of God. And everything, don't miss it, everything yields to what this word says. Your opinion, my opinion, guiding documents, our traditions, what we're used to, good and helpful things, the things that may make us comfortable, every one of them yield to thus says the scripture. What does the word say? He uses an incident work through his word, through his preacher, through his ordinances, through baptism and the Lord's Supper to remind us of Christ's sacrifice, to, for us to see it visibly and for us to some in small way, tangibly, taste it to experience and foretaste of the gospel with our senses. Can you believe that? You see it in the waters of baptism to taste it through the Lord's Supper. And why we desire every month to partake, to examine ourselves as a mirror, to look into the mirror of the gospel that is displayed to say, am I still on the road of the cross? Left foot, right foot, in step with the gospel. Or have I gotten off track? When someone enters in the waters of baptism, do you not think of the day that you trusted Christ? And think and dwell upon that day that you were buried with Christ in baptism. And you rejoice with your brothers and sisters that are coming and being a part of this body and a part of the person and work of Christ and a part of the body of Christ. Oh, how when you take the bread and the juice, do you not still gasp for just a moment to think of the wrath of God being poured out against sin, poured out on his only son, and Jesus absorbing in his body the fullness of the wrath of God that you deserved. Jesus' blood poured out atoning for our sin, reconciling us to God. Are you still moved by that, Christian? 
Or have you become complacent, preoccupied, entertaining with lesser things now? And so we come to the table and think, what's here for me? He uses his word, he uses his preacher, he uses his ordinances. He uses it as it work through prayer to commune with his sheep in an intimate, relational way. Are you listening, beloved? Are you conversing with him? Are you being led by his spirit through prayer when you have something to do or decision to make? Do you stop for any moment in time and say, God, what would you have me do here? Or do you just say, I think I've got it figured out? Or do you live as the Apostle Paul and pray without ceasing. He uses and is at work through worship. The singing of our church, singing rich doctrinal truths about God, the fruit of our lips and being a pleasing sound to the Lord, being filled with great truths as you leave here. To be moved, beloved, even sometimes to tears because of the truths that we sing. Are you singing, church? There may be many instruments that may be played, but there is the most important above all, and it is the voices of the saints of God singing praises to God and the congregation lifting up their voices to an all-powerful, almighty, sovereign, gracious king. He's at work, 60 and finally. He's at work through his community of faith. He's at work through his church. He uses his church to the redeemed people of God to provide loving accountability, loving encouragement and support. Here's what I found. I found that living a crucified life and those who are living a crucified life by way of the cross know that it is absolutely impossible to do without other brothers and sisters in Christ. They need their love. They need their encouragement. They need their wisdom. They need their correction at times. They need their fellowship, prospect. We need one another. I want to challenge anyone who is watching online. I want to challenge you in this way. Be wise, be cautious, hear me with grace, but I want to challenge you not to get comfortable there. Perhaps you're providentially hindered. I understand. I get it. But for some, it's just something that's become easy. It's just something that's become convenient. Here's my caution to you. Don't get lulled to sleep. Don't get lulled to sleep with the comfortableness of that. Don't get lulled to sleep with just the complacency of that. And to begin to think something so foolish, like I don't need the Lord's church. Here's what I found. I found that more often than not, a person's commitment to the Lord's church is usually an accurate reflection to their commitment to the Lord of the church. I'll say that again. Usually, a person's commitment to the Lord's church is usually an accurate reflection of their commitment to the Lord of the church, namely Jesus Christ. Beloved, the Lord uses his church as a means of sanctification, as a means of growth and discipleship for the believer, as a means of crucifying your flesh. There are hundreds of one another commands, 60 of them pertain to our life together in the body. Prospect church, Christians, church isn't optional. And a commitment to the Lord's church should be a priority. And I know this sounds super harsh, but the reality is you're gonna have to show up and be involved because he's at work. 
in crucifying our flesh and seeing that our passions are put to death. He's at work through his word, through his preacher, as we sing through the ordinances, through prayer, through his people, and the means of grace for his spirit to move in our lives. This is what living by the spirit looks like, walking by the spirit looks like, keeping in step with the spirit looks like, being sensitive, being open, being led, following Jesus. Are you following this morning? Are you marching along step by step, living by the Spirit? Are you watching closely? Are you being lulled to sleep? Disengaging from pursuing, about to become bored and abandon the road of Calvary, the road of the cross altogether? Can I encourage you this morning and remind you of his grace this morning? The Lord's desire for you this morning is simple, to repent, and to return. Beloved, I've said it time and time again, and I'll say it again. There's always a road home. No matter where you are right now, there's always a road home. Because of Christ, there's always victory, and it happens through repentance. Are you dying to flesh? Are you following Christ? Repent. Doubt to self. Follow Jesus and follow in his path of discipleship. Let's pray. Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. If you'd like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website at prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. If you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. If you're not comfortable doing that at this time, we understand, but please know we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast.